How does it feel to be out of control? Maybe you're driving and you press the brake and nothing happens. Or maybe you're about to be anaesthetized for a major operation. Maybe you're on a plane in bad weather. Or maybe you're struggling with a, a mental illness or dementia. How does it feel to be out of control? It's frightening, isn't it? Lack of control. It puts us on edge. It makes us nervous. And if the period lasts for a long time, that anxiety that's created starts to turn to despair, to despondency. We lose confidence. When we feel out of control, sometimes we get angry. We swear. We lash out. Sometimes we just panic. Being out of control is perhaps the worst feeling known to humankind. And when we feel it, we'll do anything to try and get some control back. Sadly, though, that's not always possible. One of the things that we're all struggling to come to terms with at the moment relates to this being out of control. We're going through a very destabilizing period. The pandemic has brought home to us all our own vulnerability and it's changed all of our routines. The daily news about climate change at the moment reminds us how we just live at the mercy of the elements and things still not have settled down after the upheaval of Brexit. Feels like things are out of control. But above all these, perhaps what is most disturbing to us as Christians is that the UK no longer feels like a Christian country. Surveys tell us that 45% of the population cannot even name one of the Gospels. Only 10% of people actively follow Jesus. 96% of children have no contact with church at all. The laws are changing, churches are closing, and some people cannot even wear a cross to work. And where once every aspect of British life used to be run by Christians like us, now everything has changed. And the stark truth is, is that we are now exiles in a land we no longer control. And how does that make us feel? Well, exactly as I said a moment ago, we feel sad. We feel frightened. We feel angry. And as this period seems to get prolonged further and further, some of us are tempted to begin to panic. Is our faith true? Is it worth it? We begin to ask ourselves these things. If that introduction in any way describes how you are feeling today, then the book of Daniel is for you. For this is a book about the pain of exile and how we can remain faithful to God within it. In the year 586 BC, Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar stormed in with his army, smashed the place up and he hauled off the people into captivity. 
And suddenly the people of Israel who used to live under their own king and their own priests with their own rules and their own customs were completely out of control. They were in a land that they didn't recognize and at the mercy of a foreign power. And at first the people assumed that this period of exile was going to be short, that the Lord would somehow jump in and rescue them. But that was not to be the case. The years of exile went on and on. And to give you a sense of this, some experts think that this book was put together at the end of Daniel's life, in about 530 BC. So that's a full 56 years that the people had been in captivity. And by this time they'd been worn down. Many were struggling to maintain their faith in the land of their conquerors. Yet amongst all of this misery, a good news story began to emerge. A story which, when it was listened to, encouraged the people. It inspired them to go on being patient. It motivated them to stay true to the Lord. It was the story of Daniel and his three friends. The book of Daniel contains three famous stories about how God provided for Daniel and his friends in amazing ways, proving that he hadn't up and left his people, but he remained right there in Babylon, in exile, watching over them. The first story comes in chapter 1. When the Babylonians first stormed into Jerusalem, they scouted out some of the best young men in the land and they recruited them into service. And Daniel and his three friends were taken to serve King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And once there, they were constantly pressured to give up their Jewish identity. And one of the ways the Babylonians did this was by urging them to eat food that they knew the Jews believed was unclean. Yet Daniel and his friends refused. They chose consistently to be loyal to God's law. And this, of course, put them in great danger. The Babylonian king wouldn't think twice about killing a few Jewish rebels. But in their moment of need, God delivered them. Although Daniel and his friends only ate water and vegetables for 10 days, they became stronger than all the men who ate Babylonian food. And the king was impressed by this, and he elevated them in his service. The second story comes in chapter 3. One day, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was out on an absolute power trip. He sets up this enormous golden statue of himself. And the order is made that whenever the people hear music played, they must stop what they're doing and bow down to the statue. And of course, this isn't just about Nebuchadnezzar's vanity. This is about breaking down the Jewish resolve. It's about luring them in to worship the empire rather than their god. And Nebuchadnezzar knows that once he's made them do that, he'll be able to make them do anything. But again, Daniel's friends refuse to cave in. They will not abandon the Lord to worship an idol. So Nebuchadnezzar has them thrown into a blazing furnace, a furnace so hot it even kills the soldiers that throw them in. But the same was not to happen to Daniel's three friends. As the king watched on, he suddenly sees four figures walking in the furnace and the Lord sent his angel to protect the three friends and brought them out unscathed 
And again, the king was astonished and he gave praise to God. And the three friends were promoted even further up the Babylonian society. And then the final story comes in chapter 6, and it's probably the most famous of them all. It's, of course, the story of Daniel and the lion's den. By this time, there's a new king on the throne. His name is King Darius. But the position of the Jews is still the same. This royal edict is issued that bans the people from praying to any god other than the king. And Daniel again refuses. As always, he chooses to stay loyal to the one true God, the Lord of heaven and earth. And for this, Daniel is sentenced to death. He is thrown into a den of lions. But again, God works a miracle. He provides his angel to shut the mouths of the lions and Daniel emerges from the den untouched. And this miraculous provision of God had a real impact on King Darius. Just listen to his words after Daniel was delivered. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So I hope we can now see what the book of Daniel is all about. It's about being faithful to God despite persecution. It's about remaining true to the Lord, even though every other aspect of your life has been turned upside down and torn apart. And the promise is, as we stay true to the Lord, we will discover that though we are in a form of exile from all that we know and love, we are never away from the Lord. He is there watching over us and will provide the aid that we need. Daniel is a great book of hope, probably one of the foremost books in the Bible for the times that we are living through right now. But you will notice that despite these three wonderful stories, I didn't choose any of them for the reading today. Instead, I chose the rather more challenging chapter 7. But there is a reason for this. When we're going through a time of great trial, when we feel that all those things that we once held dear are being stripped away, when we feel vulnerable, when we feel afraid, the one thing we need more than anything else is a vision of the future. We need a cast iron assurance that in the end, all will be okay. We need to know that despite the evil we see in the world, in the end, God wins. And this is what Daniel 7 is all about. And this great vision is no lesser provision to Daniel than the angel that shut the lion's mouth. Because without a vision for the future, we're all dead. I think this chapter is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. But we hardly ever read it. And I'm now going to tell you why I think it's so important. There are three reasons. 
First of all, we need this vision because it's honest. It explains the reality of life as we know it in the world. In his vision, Daniel sees four terrifying beasts emerge from the sea. And each beast, we are told, represents an arrogant earthly kingdom that persecutes God's people. And each beast is worse than the one that came before it. And there's a great honesty here. The Bible tells us that as human beings, we were made in the royal image of God. We were made to rule on God's behalf. But when human beings rebel and when they seek to make themselves into gods, slowly but surely they become less than human. They become like brute beasts upon the earth. Rather than making peace, they go out for conflict and conquest and control. Rather than serving the Lord, they go out for domination and devour all the things they come across. When human beings become beasts, they do not care how much misery they inflict on other people. And traditionally, the four beasts of Daniel's vision have been identified as the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and finally the vast and brutal Roman Empire. But we have seen the same right down through the ages. When human beings cease to recognise God and cease to live by his ways, they bring terror into the lives of many. And this is how evil works. Did you notice how in Daniel's vision the beast came out of the sea? Remember the sea in the Bible is, is the symbol of chaos and disaster and destruction. Evil is exhibited in the empires of the world that dismiss God and try to lead his people away from him. And this is the pattern of history, actually. And we'd be well to be aware that just one kingdom follows on after another in this way. We shouldn't be naive about this. But neither should we panic or throw in the towel. There is an important detail in verse 2 of this vision. Yes, the beasts come out of the sea, but only as the waters are stirred by the four winds of heaven. And what this means is that these empires only arise because God in his wisdom allows them to. In Daniel's day, that was a really, really important understanding. Because Israel went into exile because they had sinned. Because they'd become corrupt. Because they'd allowed idolatry and injustice to run rife in the land. And God raised up the Babylonians to discipline his own people. He wanted to wake them up. He wanted to shake them. He wanted to call them back. Because they weren't listening to him at all. Now we must be careful about applying that same meaning to the empires of the world today. But we can be sure of the same truth. Nothing comes to bear in this world without the Lord allowing it to do so. That includes the pandemic that we've been through, and it includes the post-Christian state that the West finds itself in today. As I said, this vision is honest, and we need to hear its truth. And the reason it's important to be honest is because only then can hope be found. And hope is the second thing that this great vision communicates. God shows Daniel these awful beasts rising out of the sea. And the fourth is the most monstrous of all. 
And did you pick up that it was led by a little horn, a, a boastful human voice? You see, all empires are run by tyrants and dictators, be it Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Nero of Rome, Hitler of Nazi Germany. Great evil is unleashed into the world through human arrogance. Men who have set themselves up as gods. But suddenly, in Daniel's vision, this little horn is dwarfed by something far, far greater. In verse 9, Daniel sees God himself. And he's depicted here as the great ancient of days. In Daniel's vision, the ancient of days is holding court. And we are assured that despite all the turmoil in the world, all the upheaval of empires rising and falling, this has always been the case. The Ancient of Days has always been on the throne. What are we to take away from this imagery of the Ancient of Days? Well, it's certainly not that God is old and senile. Nothing could be further from the truth. The God that we find here is dignified and he is strong. And he is to be held in awe because he's been across the plains of history far longer than the upstart kingdoms of the world. Now, we are right back to where we started this sermon. What does it mean for God to be the ancient of days? It means he's in control. Completely and utterly in control. And we get a few extra details about God along with this. Our God, the Ancient of Days, is holy and he is pure. He will always do what is right. And we see this from his white clothes and his white hair. Our God, as the Ancient of Days, is all-seeing. He is across everything that takes place in his world. Nothing escapes his notice. We see this because his throne is set on wheels. It can turn in any direction. God came through for Daniel in the moment he needed it, the moment he was thrown into the lion's den, because God had been there watching all along. And the same is true for us today. And our God, the Ancient of Days, is the judge of all the earth. The fire that Daniel saw flowing from his throne represents the fury of his judgment. Yes, in Daniel's day, he judged his own people and found them wanting. That's why the exile had happened. But once they'd repented, once they'd come back to him, he would redeem them by ultimately judging the kingdoms of the world who caused them such misery. And this is the great assurance we get from knowing that our God is on the throne. This is the great hope we get from worshipping the ancient of the days. God will confront the beasts of the world. God will rescue his people. God will bring his kingdom to bear. All we need do is hold on to him. Did you notice in verse 25 that it said that, that terrible fourth beast would reign for a time, times and half time? That's an old way of saying three and a half years. And in Jewish way of thinking, seven is the complete perfect number. So three and a half is half of seven. In other words, it's not really even close to being complete. So kingdoms may rise in this world, but they will not last forever. When the time comes, God, the Ancient of Days, will 
do away with them. That was true for Babylon. It was true for Rome. It was true for Nazi Germany. It was true for Islamic State. And it's true for the aggressive secularism that has taken over the West today. That is our hope. And finally, after all of the honesty and all of the hope, Daniel's vision gives us the most wonderful thing of all. It gives us a hero. Verses 13 and 14 are worth hearing again in full. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority and glory and sovereign power, and all the peoples and nations of every language worshipped him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You see, Daniel has seen four beasts come up on the earth and cause immense suffering, but after them something amazing happens. Daniel sees a new figure. This one hasn't come out of the sea because this one isn't evil. Not at all. This one is divine. Yet he's also in the form of a human being. He is a son of man. And Daniel sees that this son of man has suffered too. He has suffered at the hands of the kingdoms of this world. He has suffered at the hands of the fourth beast. It was a suffering that somehow God allowed to happen. But once it was complete, this son of man is vindicated. He's remained faithful to God. So the ancient of days raises him up, raises him up into his presence and gives him the kingdom of the earth. And from this point on, he will reign over all things forever and ever. And evil and human beasts will hold sway no more. And I hope we can see the significance of this. In the Gospels, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man more than anything else. It is this vision that defined Jesus' understanding of himself more than anything else. That's why Daniel 7 is one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. And when you know that, all of the imagery becomes clear. Jesus was fully divine, yet fully human. He was son of God, yet son of man. He was the child of Mary. Jesus suffered at the hands of Rome, the fourth beast. In fact, he was put to death on a cruel cross. And this happened so that the sins of the world could be forgiven. The sins that caused the exile of Israel in the first place, and the sins that we still commit today. But once Jesus had been judged by the empire of his day and put to death, God raised him up. And through his resurrection, Jesus defeated evil. And now he is the judge of all the empires in this world. And one day he will return to judge them all. Now Daniel couldn't possibly have understood that 500 years before Jesus But this vision spoke to him of a coming hero. A hero who he could hold on to in the toughest experiences of his life. A hero who would ensure that in the end, all would be okay. To the Jews, this was the Messiah. 
and the Messiah meant that in the end, God wins. Our series on Sunday evenings has all been about God providing his people with just what they need, just when they need it. And yes, God had provided Daniel with great strength through vegetables and water. Yes, God had provided Daniel with an angel to shut the lion's mouth. But perhaps above all else, God provided Daniel with this vision. A vision for the present and a vision for the future. A vision that gave Daniel all the resources he needed to keep holding on, even if it was by his fingernails at times. And as we live on in a form of exile today, may we take up the same vision. Despite what the news says, God is still in control. The Ancient of Days is on the throne. Despite the empires in the world, Jesus is king and will judge them. Despite the persecution, our faith is always worth it. This is the honest truth. This is the hope we have. Jesus is the hero we have to hold on to. So let's not panic in the distress of today, but keep our faith in the God who's in control.